Welcome, welcome, welcome. This is Islam for Christians, episode 78, Quran, Surah 97, Al-Qadr, The Power. We have indeed revealed this message in the night of power, and what will explain to thee what the night of power is. The night of power is better than a thousand months. Therein come down the angels and the spirit by Allah's permission on every errand. And peace, this until the rise of morn. And now the Arabic, as recited by Saad El Ghamdi. the night of power that's the translation of yusuf ali which is an older modern translation which is approaching about a hundred years old now i used yusuf ali's version in this just because I think it sounds the best of many of the ones that I've read. Now, of course, that's not a value judgment. I just find the use of the word power specifically here to be more poetic and appropriate. However, of course, this translation varies wildly, extremely wildly. Almost every translator has a different word for it. It's the night of fill in the blank, the night of power, the night of honor, the night of glory, the night of decree, the night of predestination, the night of determination, the night of majesty, the night of destiny, and so on. So why are there so many variations? Well, it's the result of the two words being used together here that turn the phrase into a grand mystical term, in a term that just defies easy translation. Now, you see the word night in every translation. It is night of whatever. Now, this is a common Arabic construction where you modify a noun. You know, you say the noun in the indefinite form as in night, not the night. And then you add a modifier in the definite form, usually by putting an L in front of it. That's basically the Arabic word, the. When this happens, it sounds like the English construction, you know, something of something. You have one word modifying another, but both are important to the phrase. In this case, the Arabic is la ila al qadr, or la iladhi al qadr, or la iladhu al qadr. You know, um, the word la ila is key here. It's la ila, not to be confused with la ila, there is no God. La ila. This is night. And then Al-Qadr. Uh, we'll get to that. But first, let's go over the word for night. So this word, La-Ila, is translated as night. But that's not entirely the whole story. 
there are two forms of night. There is the masculine la'il and the feminine la'ila. The masculine form is simpler. It pretty much just means night, you know, night in its simplest form, the opposite of day. But when you take this word and you put it in the feminine form, which is the one that the Quran is using here, la'ila or la'ilat, depending on your pronunciation, this feminine form means something bigger, grander, something more mysterious, something greater than just night. You know, like night, but more so. As often in Arabic, uh, the feminine usage means you should be on the lookout for something of great importance or complexity or grandiosity. For example, in the more modern usage, a laila can mean a dinner party, uh, a concert, a wedding night. You know, so it's night, but more than a night. It's something that is technically, you know, linguistically speaking, a night, but so much more and, and special. So keep that in mind. So then we move on to the other word in this phrase, which is cutter, uh, which is the title word for this sore. That's cutter with a Q, uh, L-Q-A-D-R, cutter, the power. This word means many things. It comes from a verb that is full of meanings that potentially have theological significance. Things like to decree, to ordain, to exercise power, to possess strength, um, and so on. And the words that branch out from this verb into noun and adjective form uh, are, are pretty similar, like uh, divine plan, predestination, destiny, fate, omnipotence, almighty, all-powerful, and so on. So you can see the translator's dilemma here. What do you choose? You have these two words you need to somehow put together. And, you know, so first you have a word that means basically grand and unforgettable majestic night. And then you have a second word, which is a modifier with all sorts of ambiguous and mysterious terms that relate to the power and the glory and attributes of God. Now, I think night of power works best, if only because power is sort of a general word. You know, it's it, it can capture the more specific words that are kind of downstream of it because it's so non-specific. You know, power is the source of that river of words that comes later. Um, so rather than use the downstream words, use the word at the source. Again, not that there's anything wrong with the other translations. Uh, and frankly, every single person who's done a Quranic translation knows infinitely more about Arabic than I do. But for the sake of simplicity, we'll just use the term power from here on out. So, the night of power. As the second line in this surah says, who will explain to thee what the night of power is? Like so many things in religion, it has the common, basic meaning, and then a few other meanings hidden within it. 
So let's start with the basic meaning. Now, this is Surah 97, which immediately follows Surah 96 in the semi-random order of the Quran, and unusually so that the numbers actually mean something here. Um, it's usually, you know, one Surah after the other. That doesn't matter. They're, they're not linked. You did see an earlier example of this. I think it was 105 and 106 were somewhat linked, maybe even arguably the same Surah, but that's not usual. But you have something like that here. Surah 96 contains the first words ever uttered by Gabriel to Muhammad. And this, Surah 97, is usually understood within that context. The night of power is when the Quran was first revealed to Muhammad. Now, when this was isn't fully agreed upon, but it's almost always within the last 10 days of the month of Ramadan. And of course, that's a lunar calendar, <laughs> keep in mind. So, you know, sometimes it just refers to that specific time of year. Again, lunar year, where some believe, because of the words of this surah, that any prayer during this time of year, and again, time of lunar year, so you can't think in terms of the, the solar calendar we're used to, but this time in Ramadan is believed to have special power. You know, where, like I said, a prayer during this time of year will count for a thousand or, or more even, if you actually do the math based on this surah. You think we have uh, one night versus a thousand months, <laughs> as is being said here. Let, let's just call a month 30 days. If that's the case, the night of power is worth 30,000 days, which is 80-something years. So, theoretically, according to that tradition, one fully completed round of the five daily prayers could actually cover most lifetimes if it is done during the night of power. And who can explain to you what the night of power is? And of course, you can't really fully explain what the night of power is. It's not that simple. You know, that math I gave you, there are very, very few Muslim theologians, commentators, legal scholars, whatever, who think that's what that really means, or at least that's only what it means. That number is almost surely a literary device. You know, a for human ears, a nice, large, round number to point to how special this thing is. As in, there has never been another light, night like the night of power. The angels and the Spirit of God, they come down, and then peace until the morning. Now, like the thousand months, this can mean a number of things. What does it mean when the angels and the Spirit of God come down, and that peace until the morning? It could just mean for some, that praying on the night of power during Ramadan, conscious of this special power, will give you peace until the morning. But also, there is the larger picture here. What is this night? What is this peace? And really, what is morning? Well, you could say peace is living on God's path and taking in God's wisdom, living life God's way. And the morning is actually a person's death when you will be resurrected and live in the new creation. 
or the night could be a person's death. The peace is the in-between period between death and the last day, and the morning is life everlasting in the eternal presence of God. And also, it could refer to the process of revelation. In this case, what is this night? It's a time of revelation, as in, it starts when, in a time of spiritual darkness, God shines his light upon the world to illuminate it, to light it up. This is when revelation to a prophet takes place. When God appoints a messenger to renew his religion, that has been obscured and misunderstood over time. So it's a cycle that begin, you know, happens again and again and again. Or should I say it used to? Because according to Islamic doctrine, this won't happen again. Muhammad's ministry goes to all people and will only end on the last day. Or, if you really want to expand that, you could apply the, that same cycle to the tradition of having a Muslim renewer as Muslims spoke of in the famous Hadith, we went over it in a previous episode, that there would be a Muslim renewer every 100 years. Now, here we hear about 1,000 months, right? That's not really that far from a century. There are just so many ways to go with this. Here's another alternate uh, version. You know, you could view this in a timeless manner, just removing earthly time from the whole equation. Perhaps the night is only powerful in the mind of the believer, and the deliberate veneration of this night, it acts as a shield against wicked thoughts and inclinations. So the night itself may not have special existential power, but its potential to focus a person on God does have that power which is similar to a lot of religious laws in general, and especially in religions like Islam and Judaism, because all those rules are not really important in a technical sense, you know, in an existential sense. They're important in a devotional sense, meaning the point is not necessarily that God really cares if you accidentally violate a dietary law. The reason the law exists in the first place is not because something is really at its essence, inherently unclean. It's that the attention to detail regarding your diet is a way to tie God into something that you do several times a day. And the same is true with ritual prayers. You know, same with a bunch of other things. The devotion is the point, not necessarily technical compliance with a law. It's a way of being with God. And as you can infer from this surah, one night with God is worth a thousand months without God. So you see the versatility of these five lines, which is only fitting given the ambiguous title of the Surah, you know, the power. You know, it's the, um, you can see the large, broad fishing net here that these words are casting. And one other thing to talk about here. You may have noticed the use of the spirit in this surah. The line, therein come down the angels and the spirit by Allah's permission on every errand. The spirits. 
could be a Holy Spirit. That really, really sounds Christian. Now, what does that mean? Therein come down the angels and the Spirit by Allah's permission on every errand. What's the Spirit? In the Islamic context, Spirit is usually referring to either divine inspiration or to Gabriel. Now, both would have been present on the night of power, for example. Gabriel combined with the Holy Spirit that inspired the Quran. Oh, did I say Holy Spirit again? Well, yes, uh, that's kind of present in Islam. It's just spelled with a lowercase h and a lowercase s. The Arabic word here is ru, or al-ru in this case. That's ru with an h sound at the end, which probably didn't come across. Um, it's that kind of thing we don't tend to pronounce in English, but it's super important in Arabic and Hebrew for that matter. Now, this word, ru, it's a catch-all for all things spirit. A ghost, a soul, the, the spirit of life, or even a, a spirited person, or a spirit, the spirit, the Holy Spirit, whatever, and so on. So it's the Holy Spirit, lowercase letters. The root verb for Alru means uh, to go away, to leave, often to leave specifically at night. So you see how the Arabs get the noun form here, something that goes away in the night. And the noun form of that verb is something that has left, like a human soul or a divine spirit which has left heaven and come to earth on the night of power. Interestingly, if you were wondering, Ru is not the word for angel. That's Malik. And it's the Arabic word used in this surah right before Ru. You know, it, it's so they're different things. And they're separated by a wa, which, which is an and in English. So again, they're clearly separate things being used here. Ru is not the same thing as an angel. Gabriel is not the Holy Spirit in this surah, and vice versa. So theoretically, you could argue this is a Holy Spirit in capital letters situation. You know, and the word... Spirit is also used in other very Christian-sounding contexts in Islam, including the virgin birth of Jesus in Mary. But still, despite this, the Holy Spirit is usually just said to be an angel in the official Islamic telling, lest things get a little too muddled, a little too Trinitarian. You know, I think mostly... The, this presence of the, the separate angels and Holy Spirit thing, I think it was just overridden by the larger sensibility of the Quran. Maybe, you know, depending on your point of view. But in a much larger way, the interpretation of Muhammad obviously counts too, who did not like the idea of the Trinity and would basically say, yeah, the Holy Spirit, that's just, that's Gabriel or angels or something. Or at least he didn't like the specific words that he was hearing, or possibly misunderstanding that described this whole situation on the night of power. Given this, here's a crazy idea to chew on for a bit that you may have never heard. 
Is it possible that 1,400 years of conflict were due to a simple grammatical misunderstanding? The Holy Spirit as proper noun versus the Holy Spirit as a simple noun. Is that really the hair we are splitting here? Is that really the difference between Trinitarian and non-Trinitarian monotheism? Sure, it's, it's obviously a bit more complicated than that. Or is it? Because you see the same thing with Jesus. Son of God with capital letters versus Son of God with lowercase letters. Like, really? Is that it? Could that really be <laughs> the, the main difference? So, if Muhammad is right, and there is no Holy Spirit, with capital letters at least, what to make of this word that is littered throughout the Quran and interpreted a zillion different ways, or reduced to simply an angel? Now, really, just about any opinion on this matter is valid, because the Quran and the Hadith use this word for spirit in so many different ways that it just loses any precise meaning. And of course, that's, that's fitting, that's fine, because it's not exactly a word of precision in the first place. So make of it what you will. And this really is a thought exercise that almost has to be done through Christian eyes. Because I've noticed that Muslim commentators just aren't really that interested in codifying this type of thing in any theological way. You know, like the early church, which read the Gospel of John and inferred the Holy Spirit as part of the Holy Trinity. That's how we ended up with the Holy Spirit with capital letters. But the Muslim general opinion seems to be more like, really, who cares what that specific essence is? If it's really an essence at all. Gabriel, the Spirit, whatever, who cares? It's the Spirit or a Spirit, whatever. God, you know, God's in control anyway. So you see the difference in sensibilities there. That kind of uncertainty, theologically, is simply unthinkable in Christianity. It would not happen. That is why spirit in the Quran and Hadith is used so consistently, mainly because they can, because they're Muslims. Christians couldn't do that, yet Muslims just don't really seem to care. Had this been in the gospel, it would have been the subject of a dozen ecumenical councils, one or two schisms, a reformations, a, a hundred sects, and several centuries of inner Christian warfare. But in Islam, it's meh, whatever. God knows best. Because it doesn't really relate to human action, to human practice. And as long as it's not violating Tawheed or the oneness of God, it's just not that super important in the Muslim mind, at least to the degree that it's important in the Christian mind. Gabriel, divine inspiration, whatever it is, well, God did it and it works. We know that. Next story, please. <laughs> Again, interesting sensibility, completely alien to Christian thinking but it's just common sense in Islamic thought.
Thank you, and I'll talk to you next time. Inshallah. Thank you for listening to Islam for Christians. Please subscribe wherever you get your podcasts. And if you want to keep this show ad-free, you can also visit my Patreon page and subscribe. I'm at patreon.com slash Islam for Christians. That's patreon.com slash Islam for Christians.